Thank you, choir. Well, this morning we finish out this series we've been in for uh, for a few months or for a few weeks now, a couple of months, I guess, all total. Uh, dealing with the names of God. It's called What's in a Name, and we've been looking at different names of God through this series. Today we wrap it up, and uh, I want to make mention that next Sunday we're going to have a special service. Four times a year uh, we celebrate the Lord's Supper here, and uh, I remember when I was a kid I didn't understand the significance of what the Lord's Supper was all about. There were questions I had and just just didn't really seem to to fit, uh, you know, in, in regards to everything else we did in church. But as I've grown in my, my faith, I understand beautifully <laughs> that the Lord's Supper really came captures everything about our faith as followers of Jesus. And so next Sunday, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper and um, really uh, we'll be praying for God to do something unique and special through that time. And so I hope you'll plan already to be here next Sunday for that. But this morning we finish out the series called What's in a Name, looking at the names of God. You may remember at times going into people's houses and uh, whether it's a family member or whether it's a stranger that for some reason you're over in their home and and you walk down this long hallway, sometimes it's in a hallway, sometimes it's in a, a foyer like an entryway, but you'll see pictures of their family, right, of their children specifically at all these different stages of life. And so you walk in the front door and, and you see these, or you go down a hallway and you see these, and, and it's these pictures, right, that start with birth. There's this kind of a, an older, grainy, yellowish picture maybe because it's got some years to it, and, and it's the, the, the baby photo, it's the infant photo. And, and then they've got kind of the next picture on the wall is the, the, the picture of that same person, but now it's their graduating from preschool picture, and then it's their kindergarten picture, and then it's their you know, moving into middle school picture, then it's the graduating from high school picture, and, and then the father had to add on more length to the hallway because they're running out of space, and, and then you get their college graduation, and you get their I just got married picture. You know, it, it's all these pictures down there, and what it is is it's just like this montage, it's this collection of photographs, of pictures of one person, but each picture tells a story, and each picture captures a, a kind of an aspect of that person's life in that particular moment. Well, in this series, What's in a Name, what we've been doing is looking at the names of God, not all of them, but some of the names that he presents in Scripture, and every single one of those is almost like another picture on the wall. It's not a different person. It's the same God. It's one God, right? But it's another aspect of who he is. And when we look at the names of God, whether it's through this series or if you even want to expand it, and look at more of the names of God that we haven't even covered, you can certainly do that. But every one of them shades a picture of who he is. Now, now there's a, a danger to this we have to keep in mind. I'm going to give you a few principles this morning. This is the first one. There's a danger we have to keep in mind. And the first thing we have to remember is this, that, that we have to hold each name that we learn of God in light of all the other names as well. All right, We, we can't just take one name and separate it from the other names by which God has revealed himself. He's one God, but he gives us different names for himself. Let, let, me, let me give an example. So when we are in the Old Testament, uh, we see a name for God called Adonai. We covered this about two or three weeks into the series. And that name for God, when he revealed himself in Scripture as Adonai, he revealed himself as a God who is master, who is owner, who is ruler, and who is just flat in charge, right? That, that's who he is. That's who God is. Now, you can take that out of context and only focus on that one name and say, wow, that sounds kind of dictatorial, right? God must be a dictator because he wants us to know he's master, ruler, owner, he's in charge. You know, that, that must be the kind of God he is. He just sort of sits back there and waits for us to blow it, and then he proves that he's the one in charge. No, that, that's not the way God is. 
He's revealed himself as Adonai, but that name links up with all the other names by which he's revealed himself, one of which is also Abba Father, right? So when he is in charge and when he's in control and when he's the one who owns it all and he's master over everything, he lives that out, he carries that out, he exercises that in the context of a father who loves us, if we're followers of Christ, he loves us as his own children, And so those names fit together, and they all form this beautiful picture, ultimately, of who God is. And so you may wonder, why is this even important? Why do we look at a series of the names of God? Why does God even give us various names, even though you've got three, maybe four to your own credit, right? Why does God even give us various names of himself? Here's why this is important. Here's why this is so important, because you cannot afford to journey through your life, regardless of how many days those are, you cannot afford to journey through your life and miss God for who he is. And so he has given us these names. He has introduced himself, so to speak, through all these different names so that we understand him clearly, so that we can see him uh, uh, in, in all the richness of who he is, so that ultimately we can begin to follow him and we can begin to know him at a deeper level with each passing day. So today we come to the final name we're going to look at in the series. Again, we've covered seven or eight different ones, I guess, up to this point. And as Adam mentioned earlier today, the final name we're going to look at is the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel. It's interesting, this name, because this name, Emmanuel, is a name we find in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament alike. And that's the name we're going to focus on this morning, which is perfect since we're heading into the Christmas season, and that's the name you often hear at this time of the year. So when I was in college, I, uh, I was a very unique student in college. I accomplished something that few can boast of. Whoop! I think I heard a whoop. I crammed a four-year degree into almost six solid years. Right? Are there any here that, yes, can be recognized for that feat? Thank you. We are a select group. So I was at Armstrong here for about two years and a quarter, and then, yes, quarters back in the dark ages. And then I transferred up to the University of Georgia in Athens, and that's where I, where I finished up my, my college time there and, and, uh, and graduated. So while I was in Athens, because I was there like four different years, right, after I had already started two years here locally, I lived in four different places while I was there, all of them off campus. The first place that I lived when I arrived uh, in January, I started in the January, that, that particular winter quarter, when I arrived was a, an apartment complex off campus called University Gardens Apartments. It was uh, down Baxter, um, before you got to the Alps, dollar movie place, that's what I remember. And the other thing I remember is that was dump number one where I lived in Athens, Georgia, was in the University Gardens Apartments. So that year finished, I came home for the summer, I went back, and I lived in the second place that was further out. It was out towards the mall, at least the mall that was there that particular time. It was near the old Howard Johnson's. Anybody remember the Howard Johnson's out, headed out towards the mall? And um, I didn't live in the Howard Johnson's, that would have been interesting. But I lived right next door to it at a place called Beachwood Apartments. That was dump number two where I lived during my days in college. The last place I lived was near Five Points. That was actually good. It was nothing fancy. None of the places were but, uh, but it was right kind of near campus. It was almost walking distance in a way, close to the stadium. But the place I lived, the third, the third place where I lived, was a place called Tivoli Apartments. 
Tivoli Apartments are no longer in existence. They've been taken over and uh, redone, and there's something else now. But, but they're out College Station. You get to Barnett Shoals Road. You take a left, and just before you, you make another turn, just before you get to Cedar Shoals High School, that's where Tivoli Apartments were. Probably the nicest place I lived, and, and most of you probably would turn your nose at it and say, I'm not living in this, I'm not living in this place, right? But that's where I lived. It was the nicest place I lived in Athens. And, and, uh, and so I lived there. It was a three-bedroom apartment with myself, my buddy Matt from high school, and another friend of ours whose name was Phil Necro. Phil Necro had a famous dad who could, could pitch, right? And so he had a lengthy professional baseball career, played with the Atlanta Braves the majority of that career, went on to play a little bit with the Indians, I believe, and the Yankees, won over 300 games. Uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. His license plate on the front of his car at that point said 300 wins, right? I mean, he's just, there's a statue of him out in front of Turner Field. I think another one now out in front of SunTrust Park where the Braves play currently. And so, I mean, it's just a legend. And I remember when we went through the course of that school year, some, and Phil, by the way, his son Phil, Phil, little, little Phil, he, if it wasn't for his dad, he wouldn't know the shape of a baseball, right? He didn't play any sports at all, did not care about any sports at all. But I remember he, he had in our apartment there, he had a baseball glove. And on the kind of this part of the glove here, it, it had the number 35. That's his dad's number. And, and the first time I saw that, I mean, you can't help but think, <laughs> Because <laughs> I grew up, I mean, back in the day when the Braves wore gloves for no apparent reason, okay? And, and I mean, they were not good. Remember those days? I mean, the bumper stickers, go Falcons, take the Braves with you. I mean, that's, those, those, were, those were the days I grew up in. And Phil Necro was like the man, I mean, back in those days. And I saw this glove at 35, I was like, this is Phil Necro's glove, right? This is his glove. And I would hear Phil talk to his dad on the phone and, and he would hang up. It's like, all right, dad, bye. And it was like, he just said goodbye to Phil Necro, you know? And one day he came to our apartment and, um, and it's just, again, it's the same moment. It's like, who would have ever thought like just a little kid off of Bonaventure Road right here in Savannah would grow up to have Phil Negro in his apartment, right? And it's just, it just time after time after time. It's just this, this neatest thing. Well, fast forward, or, or rather backtrack, let's say, 2,000 years ago, and take your place back to a little city called Bethlehem. And at this particular moment in Bethlehem, I mean, life is a buzz. I mean, there are loose animals running rampant. There are stray animals. There are vendors that are set up in town. There are people that are plying their trade. There, you can hear the sound of a carpenter saw. You can just hear people selling things on the street. Caesar Augustus had done a really good thing 2,000 years ago when he issued this decree for everybody to go back to their hometown to be counted. And it was like homecoming maybe back in Bethlehem in those days. And yet in the midst of all of that hustle and bustle, what we read of in Scripture is that in that little nothing city that we wouldn't even know of today had it not been for the event that I'm about to describe, there would be a Savior that would be born by the name of Jesus. And he would be given the title Christ that would designate him as being not just the Son of God, but God himself. And it would be such a significant moment that you can almost imagine the people who, who whenever they would realize this, would kind of had, had that same type of an experience of, of who would have ever imagined that this would be God here, right? Who would have ever imagined that to our little town, to this broken down world, into my life that, is, that, that has so many needs, that God would come on the spot. Matthew would be a follower of this Jesus later on in life, and he would come to a place where God would inspire him to write a gospel that bears his name. 
Look at what Matthew says here, Matthew chapter 1, when he looks back on this event. He captures this moment, and part of this passage, much of it we used last Sunday in the message where we looked at the name Jesus. So I'll reiterate it today and then add a little bit to it. Matthew chapter 1, beginning, I believe, in verse 18, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been uh, conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Next slide. And so she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Now, this prophet would be Isaiah, writing 700 years before Jesus would come. Here's what he had written. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. This this was a huge moment, right? This was God leaning in, in the most significant way. This was not just God leaning in. This was God coming down to the world that he had created, to the people that he had created, most of whom wanted nothing to do with him, most of whom had long since replaced him with something else that they termed as God in their life. And yet he chose to lean in, he chose to come down, he chose to take residence here, and ultimately he did it because of his great love for us. Not just the people who lived 2,000 years ago, but he had you in that, in, in that scope at the same time as well. The gospel writer John would add to that a little bit. Look at what John says here in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word, that's a capital W that refers in the Greek language to uh, the person Jesus. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. A very clear uh, 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 declaration of the deity of Jesus. How do we know it's taught about Jesus? Well, the next part there is verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so when we look at Jesus, what, what John says here, he uses an interesting Greek word that we translate as the word dwelt. It says that, that Jesus, God himself, came, Emmanuel, God with us, and he dwelt among us. That, that word in the Greek language literally means he tabernacled among us. In fact, there are some that would say even a little bit further that it could be translated as not just that he tabernacled amongst us, but that he pitched his tent amongst us. See, when you look to the Old Testament in Exodus, you see that God called the people to himself. They were his chosen people. And remember, the Israelites, that that was his chosen people, they go through the wilderness, and as they're trucking across the wilderness, God says, listen, my people are not going to go alone. I'm going to go with them, and I'm going to show them that I'm with them. And so he gave them commands uh, in Exodus to build the tabernacle, and he laid out all the blueprints. He gave them all the specs. He told them everything they needed for this tabernacle. And what they would do was they would construct this tabernacle in the wilderness on the desert floor and it would have poles and it would have curtains and all the dimensions would be would be laid out clearly and they would lay it all out they would build it and the glory of God would fill that tabernacle 
And every time they came by there, they would see the glory of God demonstrated. And it was a visual reminder that God is here with us in this desert, surrounded by pagan nations on our way to a a promised land. God here is with us, and we see it in his presence filling the temple or filling filling the tabernacle. God would give them orders. They would uproot from point A. They would move to point B. They would pack up that tabernacle. They would get to the next place. They would unpack it. They would set it up. The glory of God would fill that place. And it was a visual that God was with them. Listen, when John looks at the coming of Jesus, he uses this terminology, and it's interesting. And every Jew who read this, I think, couldn't miss it. He said that the word Jesus became flesh, and he dwelt, he tabernacled, he pitched his tent among us. Never could a person say, as a follower of Jesus, God's not with me. Never. In my heartache, never can I say, God's not with me. In my loneliness, never can God say, or can a person say, God's not with me. In our confusion, in our loss, in our failure, in those moments when we jump the top bar of the, high, of the fence and run out into the high weeds and we, we seemingly run from God, in those moments, we can't even say, God's not with me because he is always with the one who knows him through a relationship with Jesus Christ. John captured it, and it all started when he came that very first Christmas, and he gave us this name, Emmanuel, God with us. I mean, this was a game changer. This changed everything. I mean, this is God with skin. <laughs> Paul would be speaking to a group of folks who didn't know Christ. They, they lived in a context that we would call a pagan context in the book of Acts. Paul is speaking to them. And these are people we would say were far from God. And, and, and when he begins to address them, look at what Paul says in Acts chapter 17. This is as the story continues forward. This is how he describes God. He says, the God who made the world, right? We, we've learned in, in Genesis 4 that the name for God when he created was the name Elohim. Right? denotes his power, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, right? In the Old Testament, they would have used the name Adonai because he is ruler, master, owner, he's in charge, it's all his. The God who made the world, everything in it, since he's Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, right? This, this, this group of hearers who were far from God, they would have looked around their Greek culture and they would have seen temples, And they would have been familiar with the worship of false gods. And to them, their understanding of, they thought they were true gods, but their understanding of these false gods, little G, was that you constantly had to make offerings and jump through hoops and do all these works to keep the gods from getting angry at you and to keep them from, you know, from from punishing you or to keep them on your side or to hopefully they would, you know, bless you. That that was their understanding of of, of the, the spiritual part of life. Paul says, listen, the one true God who made all of this and who created you, he doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. He's not in there, and that's the only place you can find him. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and all things. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they would seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him. And then listen to this next part that Paul says to this group of listeners, though he is not far from each one of us. 
you might be one of those today that says, you know what, man, I failed so badly. <laughs> I failed God so badly. I used to worship him, honor him, walk with him, and I've gone through a season of life where I've walked away, and I have failed God so miserably. Listen, he is not far from you. You may say, Brooks, you don't know the hardship I've been through. I pray, and I feel like God doesn't even hear. I feel like my prayers bounce back down off the ceiling. They don't get any higher. God is not far from you. You may say, Brooks, I, I don't even know God. I have never even given my life to Jesus. And this sounds like a really good deal, but I can never do enough good to, to deserve a relationship with the God who created me. Listen, it's not about us deserving it. We, none of us deserve it. God is not far from you. He's waiting for your faith in Jesus. <laughs> so Paul lays out this beautiful picture of the gospel, and it starts with the simple truth, Emmanuel God with us. You know, if I were to put a bunch of theologians up here, right? Guys with a bunch of degrees after their names. And if we were to ask them, so what, what is the theological term to describe the concept of Emmanuel, God with us? What, what is the theological you know, term that we'd use to describe that whole concept of God coming? And they would roll out this nice long word called Incarnation. You know what incarnation literally means? It means embodied with flesh. And, and this time of year, what we, what we hear about so often is, is, is that word incarnation, that God put on flesh and he came for us. And that when Jesus walked this earth, he walked this earth as completely man, but he walked this earth as completely God, that he put all of that together and he came ultimately for us. And when he walked the city streets of Bethlehem and when he moved to Nazareth and when he went about preaching the gospel and doing good and healing all sorts of diseases. That was God amongst those people. And when we walk through our own life today with our own challenges, if we have a relationship with Christ, we can never say that he is not with us. He is always with us. Always, always, always he's with the person who's a follower of Jesus. If we don't have a relationship with him, if we've never come to him on his terms though, we can't take him then at his promise because if we don't have a relationship of surrender to Jesus, then he has no obligation to us because <laughs> we're not part of the family. But when we come to him on his terms, man, oh man, always we can say, God is with us. Now, this creates a little tension, right? Because there's two sides to this coin. One side of the coin from this message from that name Emmanuel is God with us, that he came for us. Man, we should praise him for that. We should worship him for that. We should th constantly thank him for that, that he came for us. That when, when, when we were in a ditch and we couldn't help ourselves, he got in the ditch with us and he towed us out. He pulled us out. Through, the, uh, through a relationship of repentance and faith, that he comes to where we are. That's one side of that coin. But here's, the, here's where the tension is. And some of you have already begun to think this. When you flip that coin over, the wheels begin to turn, and you think, wait a minute, Brooks, but for 2,000 years, Jesus hasn't been here. For 2,000 years, he hasn't walked this earth. So what do we do now? What is God's plan now? How is, if he came for all the people far from God back then, in his context, well, how is he going to reach the people far from God today? He only has one plan, plan A, and that's through those of us who know him. <laughs> we look at the gospel, we look at the book of Acts, we look at the, the remainder of the New Testament, Jesus would go back to heaven, he would say before he went, hey, after I go... The Father's going to, or I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to come and he's going to indwell those of you who know me. 
And he's going to power you. He's going to equip you. And right now, if you're a follower of Jesus, God lives within you in the person of the Holy Spirit. But there's still a lost world all the way out there, right? People who don't know Christ. We can try to put good music together. We can try to put good sermons together. We can put lights in here. We can have fog, and we can do anything we want to do. We can have shows and bring in celebrities, and we can dress up the lobby, and we can have the best donuts that the world has ever seen. Krispy Kreme on steroids, for goodness sakes, if that even exists. And we can sell all kinds of stuff out there. We can talk Chick-fil-A into working on Sundays and put them in the lobby, too. We can do all these kinds of things, right? And people are going to drive by the front doors of this church, and if they are not looking for God, they do not care a bit. It doesn't mean anything. It's like when you go looking for a car. I put this in the newsletter here just recently. When you drive past any car dealership in the city, drive down Abercorn, and you're going to see balloons. You're going to see men that flop like this when the air blows up in, right? You're going to see all that stuff. You're going to walk in. They're going to have donuts, and they're going to have people there that greet you at the door. They're shiny and smiley, and all their, you know, just everything's in place, and they're going to answer every question. They got full-color brochures. Everything's great. That's beautiful if you're looking for a car. But if you're not looking for a car, it means zip. It means nothing. You drive past it every day. And you know what? Every day people drive past this church. I would be willing to say probably hundreds uh, uh, of people have driven past this door just since the time that I started speaking 20 or 25 minutes ago. And they don't care about what goes on in here because they're living their own life. But you know what? Those same people have issues, and those people have needs, and those people have frayed edges in life, and marriage isn't working the way they thought it would, and parenting isn't as easy as they thought it would be, and, and they've been laid off, and they've been fired, and they've got uh, uh, addiction issues, and they've got money issues, and they've got relational issues, and they're trying to fix all this up together, and all in the midst of that, because Emmanuel, God is with us, he is at work in their hearts, and he's stirring, and he's mixing, and he's preparing them for a relationship with the God who made them, and all the while, there's a missing link waiting to take the hand of those people far from God, and the hand of a God who they know so well, and to connect the two together. And we can talk about all that in here as much as we want. And we can stand out on the corner and say, y'all come, we got a seat. And there's a place for it. I hope every one of us invites people. There's a place for that. I heard an amazing story just this week. Somebody who came to Christ, two people who came to Christ, that started with somebody inviting them. There is a place for that. But listen, what this world needs is incarnational ministry. And what happens between the Sundays is every bit as important as what happens on Sunday. Amen. What God needs, what this world, not what God needs, what this world needs, is for those of us who know him, to take a step into the unknown, to take a step into the uncomfortable, to take a step into the awkward, to take a step into the messy, to take a step into the inconvenient, to take a step into the costly. And with the love of Jesus, with skin, to say, you know what, I know the answer to what you face. And let me just tell you about it. And trust the rest of God. You know, this Christmas we're we're giving our folks an opportunity to do that. I'll give a plug here. I don't mind it because I don't benefit from it at all. <laughs> it's an opportunity for you to benefit. I'm not trying to get something from you. I'm just telling you about something for you. And this Christmas, we're kind of rolling out an emphasis called the Christmas Community Challenge. And it, it's for everything I've just spoken about. 
is to give you an opportunity in the flesh, right, to be able to go and to impact somebody in the name of Jesus. And what this challenge does is, it's just, to me, it's just going gonna, it's, it's gonna to be a lot of fun. It's just a blast. But it's an opportunity for us to choose. We've got out in the lobby where the display is. You may have seen it coming in. Sheets of paper like this. They're two-sided, so read both sides. And it's an opportunity, six or seven different things that you can do to be able to just show love for people in the name of Christ this Christmas, to maybe even pray for them, to have conversation with them, and to perhaps even share with them the message of Christmas, the message of the gospel. And on this paper are these options that you can choose from. One, for example, is just baking cookies on your own and just going down your street and giving cookies to people, right? Your neighbors, right? Neighbors that you drive past maybe every day, their houses. And you may not even know them, and it's awkward because you've been there for 10 years and you don't really quite know their name. But there's a point where you lean into the awkwardness, right? And you say, hey, I'm Brooks from down the street. And, man, we've never met, but uh, our family made these cookies for you. And we just want to say Merry Christmas. If we can ever pray for you or do anything, just let us know. It, it, it's like we did a few years ago. We had this, this, we called it a Servant Outreach Saturday where we did this. And it was Christmas time. We had a group of people go to a neighborhood, actually. And they went door to door. And uh, they had rolls of scotch tape that they gave away door to door. Not scotch. That would be a little bit um, improper. But scotch tape. And uh, that would really create issues you did that. And so it was just, it was cool. That was probably my favorite thing that we did back during those Servant Outreach Saturdays, aside from helping folks unload trash at, up there at the landfill. That was, that was cool too. But, but knock on doors and say, hey, we're from First Baptist Islands. This is crazy. Nobody's ever probably done this, but we want to say Merry Christmas. Here's a roll of tape. You're probably going to need this this Christmas. And they laugh. It's like, eh, no, nobody ever gave me that before. And, and you just get to have this conversation. Hey, is it, if we can ever serve you, you know, our church loves people. And uh, if we can pray for you, just let me know. And it's just little things like that. And this sheet's filled with opportunities. Some of them that are just so simple. Some of them that are a little more involved. But what I would love for you to do, and I hope that you'll do, this is, this is not something, again, from you. It's for you. Is to take one of those from the lobby today and, and to just commit to do it. You can do all seven challenges. I think it's seven on there. Or you can just do one. But this Christmas, just choose a challenge. Answer the call, right? Take the challenge and, and show the love of Jesus. And sometimes the very first level is that you'll meet somebody and, and you'll be able to just show some care for them, genuine care. Sometimes you'll get to take the next step and you'll get to actually engage in prayer for them. And other times you'll get to actually share with them the message of the gospel. And whether you care or, pray or, or engage in prayer or whether you share, all of those are important because you are jumping into your part of the world with skin in an incarnational way, the way your Savior did. And then beyond that, we've been emphasizing and will continue to emphasize because to me, I think it's the most biblical model for the way a church needs to operate, this thing called the Everyday Missionary Initiative. And when we look at the Everyday Missionary Initiative, Christmas is the best time for us to be reminded of this, that God has put us in your specific part of the world. Remember that passage in Acts 17 I just read? from Paul. Remember how he talked about God who, ha who knows the boundaries of our habitation? You don't live where you live by accident. I believe as a follower of Jesus, everything happens for a reason in your life. Everything is part of the grand design of the God who saved you and the God who made you and that he's put you on your street and in your workplace and on your campus. And I believe that, that he desires to use every one of those circles and all the others that comprise your life, the hangouts, the, work, the place where you work out, the place where you go eat the most, all those places, he wants us to engage people. Sometimes it's just through showing care for them. Sometimes it's through praying for them. And sometimes he opens the door to share the gospel with them. 
And man, my desire, my hope is that every single one of us can say, you know what, Brooks, I get it. That's why I'm here. That's why Jesus came and that's why I'm here. Incarnational. I'm in this world to demonstrate what Jesus looks like to those with whom I cross their paths. I was sitting in a restaurant this past week and uh, doing work. Sometimes I'll go to a place just outside the office and I will um, just sort of clear the things um, that are distractions because I'm easily distracted. And I'll go to a place where I just sort of have with me what I need for that moment to accomplish what I need in that moment. And one day this week, I was, I was in one of those moments and I was at a restaurant, had my laptop there, had some things I was working on. And I was sitting in a booth in the back and uh, there was a window to my left and uh, the wall right behind me. And, and, and I overheard a conversation taking place in the booth right there next to me, just, you know, 10 feet away. And uh, in that booth were very obviously three people who worked at that restaurant. They were all three on break. Two people sat on one side, one sat on the other. All three appeared to be college age. One of them was very obviously a follower of Christ. He was speaking about truth, and he was speaking about some other things that caught my attention. And uh, you know when, you're, when you hear something that you want to hear more of, and you want to eavesdrop, but you don't want to appear as though you're eavesdropping? You just try to listen in, and you think you're being undercover, but really it looks like this. <laughs> right? <laughs> that was me. And, and I heard this guy, man, with just such gentleness and authenticity, and it wasn't a presentation. He didn't have somebody by the throat, and i got three more points to tell you before I'm done. I just learned this at church. You know, it wasn't that at all. It was just a conversation. And I heard him say to the guy, he said, have you ever heard of the Roman road? Well, for those of you that never heard of that, the Roman road is just this, it's just sort of this title for, for five different places in the book of Romans that tell us about our need for Jesus and how we've sinned and God offers forgiveness and he loves us so much that Jesus came, died for us, and that if we only confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that, that we've sinned and that he is Lord and that we need him, that he'll forgive us and he'll take over. And this beautiful conversation was just unfolding right there away, and I prayed. And, you know, the thought occurred to me, that's it. That's what it means to live on mission every day. And it's that mentality that will reach this community, this city, and this world with the same message of the gospel that turned your life upside down, right? And a lot of them aren't going to come in here because they don't care about hot coffee and donuts in the fellowship hall between services. They'll come if you invite them. But what matters even more is that, is that they hear somebody who loves them for who they are. Just come alongside with skin the way Jesus did. Who can say, because of the Holy Spirit who lives in me, God is here. And I'm bold enough to tell you about him because I love you. Hey, with heads bowed and eyes closed this morning, no one looking around, you know, kind of two levels of our invitation, our decision time this morning. First level is for those maybe who've never given their lives to Jesus, and you're one of those today that, that you would say, you know what, Brooks, I never thought about God being here. I mean, I knew he was there back in the Bible times, but I never thought about him being here with me. And I know right now that I need him. 
I know right now that I can't go another day without a relationship with Christ. And right where you are today, you may say, you know, Brooks, I'm ready for that. I'm ready to take that step. I'm ready to put down my sin because I'm sick and tired of it anyway. And I'm ready to live my life for Christ. And I'm ready to, to place my faith in him, to invite him to forgive me and to take over. You know, with no one looking around but me, I'm not going to call attention to you, but if that's where you are this morning and you want to give your life to Christ, could you just slip your hand up? You can put it right back down. Anybody at all? One, any others? You can put your hand down, whether you raised your hand or didn't. If you're at that place in your life today where you're ready to just surrender, if you believe that Jesus is God and that he died and that he rose for you, and that you've sinned and need forgiveness, and if you're ready to commit your life to him, you can pray a prayer like this right where you sit. Lord Jesus, I know that I need you. And I know that my sin has broken my relationship with God. I believe that you're God and that you died for me, that you rose again. And today is an act of my will, the best that I can. I lay down my sin and I invite you, Jesus, to come and to forgive me and to take over my life. I trust you by faith today to be my Savior and my Lord. In your name I pray, amen heads bowed, eyes closed still. If you've never placed your faith in Christ until that moment, the Bible says that you are now part of the family of God and that he's never going to let you go. You can say with all assurance, God is always with me throughout all of eternity. But if you've already made that decision, which indicated by the hands that weren't raised, most of you have already made that decision. Really the question is now, one, do I love the world Jesus died for enough to go there if not am I willing to pray for God to change my heart and two am I willing to take that step into the kind of the awkward moment to be on mission for Jesus God that's a question only we can answer for ourselves we know why we're here and we know what you want to do with us may we be willing vessels instruments in your hands God, in this time of invitation, bless, I pray, our decisions, Lord, that we might follow you wherever you lead, because we can always trust you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.